Hello, and welcome to the 13th Hour Podcast. This is episode number 446, and I'm your host, Joshua Blum. Today, I'm going to be doing something a little bit unusual in that I'm not necessarily talking about 13th Hour stuff. I'm not even necessarily talking about Rocketeer stuff. I am talking about something that I've discussed a number of times before, just something that was on my mind, and I thought I would put it down here as partly a record to myself a mental note, and it is about game design, and it's specifically about analog game design. And I've been thinking about this recently because I recently finished the this game for the Rocketeer, which is a card game. It's a it goes along with a story, a story like a fan fiction story that I've mentioned here before. I made a little game uh, that goes with it, and I've been thinking a lot about what makes games fun and what makes them want you to play them, especially after you've already experienced it, to come back to it. And so I, it, it, doing it in an analog way uh, is in some ways a little bit easier than doing it, I think, in a digital way because, you know, you don't have the element of programming to learn. Although the, there's the, the elements are still the same. When you get right down to it, you take away the graphics, you take away the outside appearances, it still comes down to what actually makes a game enjoyable and uh, what actually is compelling within the actual thing that we call gameplay. Because uh, I've been thinking about this, because uh, as I've talked about here on this podcast, and for years, I've always really wanted to make a 13th hour game. And I have the very beginnings of a little game to to make. The story, the, the, the backstory and everything like that is still for, fairly unformed. But I wanted it to actually fit in within the book. And I think what I'll probably end up doing is writing a section that was glossed over very, very briefly in the book is really, really towards the end. It's, uh, will help advance the story and connect to future books. But what I wanted to do from that little, little section, and, and this is a part where Logan and Aurora, before they get married, they have to fly to this fairy chateau. And there's a, there's, there's a little, it just mentioned very briefly that uh, it would it would be an adventure unto uh, unto itself to actually talk about what happened to allow them to get married there and, and and so forth i figured why not tell that story so i figured i'll write that story and i'll make this game uh about it that would be i i would i, I would think it would be a two-player a game one person could be logan one person could be aurora and i figured that there could be more things that i kind of add and develop it with that particular one that I would like to build up to. With this game that I made with the Rocketeer versus the Third Reich, I wanted to make a single player game, something that was very self-contained, something that was really could be played within a few minutes and would be simple enough that you could do with small children. And I, I, I think I accomplished that. I've made some additions to the rules based on uh, talking to a friend of mine, we've talked a fair amount about game design and just things like that. And and I think that uh, more or less, I I did what I set out to do there. And I was thinking like, well, 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 some of the things that I had thought about doing for that particular game, I could add to and make something that's a little bit more difficult, a little bit more involved, not much more, just a little bit more. 
as a step up. And I can't say, uh, oddly enough, that I necessarily play a lot of games. Um, I don't necessarily play a ton of video games or board games or things like that for my own enjoyment. I don't really have that much time to do that. I will play some of those things with my kids. And one thing that I've I've noticed with uh, younger kid games is that uh, they do tend to rely a lot on chance. And I think that that like Candyland and things like that, that, that and that works fine for, for kids uh, who are pretty young. But then what ends up happening is you get a little bit older, you want some more complexity. And I've discovered when it starts to get too complex in terms of the rules, you really have to devote quite a bit of time in order to kind of master the game itself to really enjoy it. And that that learning curve is something that I, I, I have not always been able to master. I, I We were actually, a week or two ago, my kids had been interested in Pokemon uh, in their respective like classrooms. They, you know, kids collect them, they bring in the cards, you know, and the binders and things like that. And I, I don't know. I mean, they've seen the show a couple of times, like the older one, and there's a, a newer one, a few newer ones. So they have a vague idea of who the, some of the characters are and the overall premise of what you do in there where you're, you know, you have, you have these animals that, that battle each other. And we were trying to figure out how to play the actual game. And I remember trying to, to, to figure this out with my brother years and years ago when it first came, came out. I don't remember anything really other than you, you build up a deck and you kind of like do this thing where you, you have the cards battle with each other. And uh, I was trying to understand the directions and I just, I couldn't quite grasp all of it. And I think I, I, the, the, I bought this like starter set for the, for the kids, you know, for them to do it. But the, the, I don't know, the directions were just not clear. I didn't really understand it. And so I wanted it to be something that people could really pick up fairly quickly uh, without necessarily a huge learning curve. And I think that's, that's challenging to do because it's hard to have complexity without some of that, you know. So what, what I was thinking actually of doing in terms of this next one is not the Rocketeer um, because I think I, I did what I wanted to do with that one. And maybe in the future I'll do another Rocketeer story and I'll make another game with it. Uh, what I what I really need to do with the Rocketeer, actually, you know, just as is what spawned all this was the the video game that made it. So, the using what I have learned from making this little card game, I can I think actually go back and more easily actually finish the digital version. So that's that's a twenty twenty four goal. But uh, this next thing, as far as a card game goes, actually is something that I started really a long time ago, decades ago. And that's actually a story that I have been working on, or I, I, I worked on. I have not been working on, but I worked on a long time ago. I didn't do anything with it. And it's and it, it actually also started as a video game way back when. I talked about this, I think, before uh, one of the way early podcasts when my brother came on, maybe the first one he came on, we talked about video games that we had tried to make. And I had talked about uh, probably at that point, a a game made with a program called Click and Play, which I believe was a, f- a French company called Click Team, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't even know if it was available in the States widely. We somehow managed to find it. And it was a, a graphical programming uh, 
software package that uh, was meant for kids to be able to program relatively simple games uh, with minimal programming uh, expertise. So it was a series of like uh, check, not really check boxes, but there was a programming language that was uh, you have to put in, but it wasn't necessarily text-based. There was some of that, but a lot of it was graphical. And the, the, the program that I'm using now called GDevelop5 is very similar to that. It, it's like a, a higher version of that. There are, there are limits of what you can do with all these programs that you don't necessarily experience with other programming languages and things like that that are more widely used. But you can do quite a bit. And I've been pretty surprised and, and with, with what you are able to do. Anyway, this was one called Click and Play. And I made a game uh, that's actually still... It is still playable, though it's it's hard to play on a modern machine. Uh, I think it plays too fast and so forth. But it's called Tomb Raider: The Unicorn Quest, and it it has hand drawn animations because I didn't know how else to do it at the time. Of Lara Croft, uh, the you know the Tomb Raider, it had a story, uh, a fairly fairly complicated story for a game like that which was meant for you to sort of make one screen kind of games. And, and if you linked a number of those screens together, you could get a game with levels, essentially. So I had a fairly, I don't know, I don't want to say robust, but for something like that, there was there was definitely quite a bit of story attached to it. And it had Lara uh, as, as a young woman who's going on this quest to find a unicorn. Oddly enough, like uh, in 2013, there was a game that, uh, well, it's it, that that came out that talked all about Lara's first adventure and and so forth. And I actually really like that game a lot. The 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 two thousand thirteen reboot, I guess you could say. And and there's a couple, a couple that went in that. There's like a trilogy, uh, the last of which I still haven't finished yet. But I, I like that first one quite a bit because it really define it, re- it kind of really de- redefined the character. Um, but the when I first, I, I, I got a computer uh, for college in 1998 and uh, you had to have, I don't know if you had to have a computer. I don't know if it was, a, no, it was not a requirement. You did not have to have a computer, but though life would have been, life was more, well, life was definitely easier if you had one. And, I, and then I remember before I went to college, uh, I, I didn't know a whole lot about computers. I, you know, I had used them obviously beforehand. Uh, we did have access to the internet. Uh, like for one, maybe a, a couple of years by that point, uh, it was just dial-up internet. My dad had it for work and we could, you know, sort of use some of it. And eventually I think we got it for, uh, it, it, it was like, you know, could, could be used for the house, essentially. Very slow. Uh, there wasn't necessarily a lot out there, but one of the first things, of course, I looked up when I, when I could, I looked up anything I could find about the Rocketeer and there was one or two pages there and, and, and that are floating around there. And then a couple of pictures of Dave Stevens comics. And um, there was a few articles about Rocketeer related stuff and that I managed to find. And I looked up stuff on the movie Labyrinth and we were looking up, uh, you know, stuff on like movies like Space Camp and Back to the Future. And I looked up stuff on games that you could download at the time, like demos and things like that. Uh, that's how I discovered a bunch of things. It took forever to download those. Um, so you couldn't necessarily do, do those that often. But there was some early stuff 
related to that click and play community that Jeremy, you know, especially uh, found out about. And, and, and there wasn't necessarily a ton of support out there if you had a question, which is one of the things that made it difficult, but there was a little bit. So that's kind of what made it possible to actually make some progress because if you if you looked and saw what other people did and kind of deconstructed it, you could actually, you know, more or less figure out different ways of answering your question. Not necessarily always perfectly, but you could often work around things, which is sort of what programming you end up doing a lot. That's a long way of saying like in those early days, I, I didn't really know a whole lot about games or things like that. There's some that I did like and uh, something I would play with my brother because at the time he, um, I don't know if he could read when he first started and then he quickly learned how to do it, things and he got very savvy with the computer and typing and everything like that. Certainly much better than, than me. I still can't type very well, to be totally honest with you. I still got to look at the keys and everything like that. One of the first uh, games that I got when I got a computer for school and it wasn't a particular, it was just a laptop computer it was meant for word processing only. It didn't have a, like a graphics card or anything fancy on it. But I remember finding a demo disc in a, in a mall somewhere and it was of, it had Tomb Raider 2 on there and it had the first couple levels. And I, I put it, I didn't know what it was. I'd seen computers for this, or computers, I'd seen uh, ads on TV for this game called Tomb Raider, which had a female heroine in it as a protagonist. And I, after that point, you know, it's interesting because at that point, there were not that many games out there that had female protagonists. You can see how the gender divide was, you know, video games was mostly like, you know, a male dominated kind of thing, you know, like mostly, mostly marketed at boys, you know, teenagers, uh, and, and obviously adults played these things, but, but at the time, like this was like late nineties and so forth, it wasn't necessarily a, a ton. If you were a girl and you liked these kinds of things like that, you know, obviously many of the Nintendo games, you know, from the eighties and so forth, you could, you could obviously play, but I think what they marketed in terms of female stuff was relatively a small por portion of the, uh, of the, uh, of the market on the uh, at least on the for, for the consoles on the computer it was a different story there was plenty of other games that were uh that were could be enjoyed by all people all ages and stuff like that like adventure games and, and puzzle games and stuff like that but at the time the playstation had been out i didn't have anything like that or anything i think it was still fairly like sort of male dominated and this was an example of a game that was clearly probably marketed toward your your uh like a teenage boy like a heterosexual teenage boy and because the the figure of the character lara croft who is this was a very buxom i guess we would say female who you know had, a, had like a you know a waist the size of a 12 year old but the hips the size of a 30 year old and and the bust of the size of a you know a, a, an adult as well over oversized you know so it's like female uh to the extreme i guess like if you think about all the stereotypical like probably not terribly positive body shape type things that go with you know creating a female character like you know like barbie and stuff like that so th that's what they kind of created for this character totally unrealistic you know but uh, the game was very popular, and I, 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 I didn't know anything about it aside from seeing the, uh, some ads and stuff like that on TV and kind of dismissed it because I, I was like, oh, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a girl in it. As I figured, well, maybe it was just for girls. I didn't know. I didn't, I, and I didn't really pay attention to it. 
But then I, I, I popped it in there. I was like, oh, okay, this is, I don't know, it's interesting. See, see what the fuss is all about. And I discovered like, oh, you could do flips. And interestingly enough, what they programmed in was, even though this is, this is not uh, new for now, but at the time, I thought it was amazing because I, I didn't know in video games that you could do things like, I hadn't seen anybody do things like backflips and front flips and side flips. And she could do all these things like she would stand and then do a standing backflip. She could stand and do uh, side flips both ways. Um, and she could stand and do a front flip with a twist. She could do a backflip with a half twist in there. It was something called an Arabian. And these are all things I was a gymnast at the time. And, and I, that was just, I was just blown away. Um, I don't know if there were other games at the time where you could do that sort of stuff like that. I had played other ones, you know, uh, video games when I was a little bit younger, like Doom and things like that. But you couldn't do any of that kind of stuff like that. And so at the time, that sort of over-the-shoulder over the third-person view had been in existence for a little while, and this was an example, early example of that. And I, I just, I, uh, I kind of fell in love with the games based on that, really alone. There was a, uh, a in, the, in the, if you bought the full game itself, there was a training, some training levels where Lara would take you into her house, and she would have a big uh, blue carpeted mat section and it's it was designed after a you know like a olympic tumbling floor uh, which are which are for whatever reason often blue blue mats um usually there's like a in a in gymnastics uh type of setup in a gym they they it requires i think it's like 40 by 40 if i'm not mistaken if i'm remembering correctly 40 by 40 feet, I think. And then it's usually like uh, layers of, they'll put down uh, something probably on the f on the floor to protect it, like a piece of wood or layers or whatever. And then they usually put p uh, springs, uh, literally um, a bunch of like, almost like you would have in a bed. And then they would put another layer of wood over it. And then a layer of, a layer or two of foam. And then they put this carpeted type of mat on it uh, or, or like a rug basically over it. So it's, it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's like, it's like a soft carpet. Some of the other floors are, it depends on what it is, are like rougher, like it's a rougher kind of carpet because, you know, a lot of people are tumbling barefoot and you don't want to be slipping on a, on a carpet. And sometimes people will wear like shoes that have a little bit of traction on there. So you want a little bit of roughness so you don't, you know, go sliding or whatever, but they, they, anyway, they had that in the, in the game. I was like, this is awesome. I mean, so I could have just played with that, you know, again and again, just, you know, watching the, the movement. I thought the movement was so cool. And the games were, were, were built that way. They were designed that way, which really capitalized on jumping from one thing to the next blocks and so forth, utilizing the acrobatic uh, abilities of this character. And I hadn't seen that up to now. So uh, there's there's been many, many games. And I, I'm thinking about this because they, they recently re-released the, uh, the first three games. They remaster them, and I guess they, I guess they improved the graphics. And I don't, I don't know how much they've changed the gameplay, but they, they've, they've made it so that they're now playable on modern machines, uh, including on the PC. Uh, so you can, you can download them on, on Steam, things like that. I, I ended up playing through those first three. My, I think when I was, I was in college, and then there's ones that came after that, which I didn't 
I didn't necessarily, I couldn't, I couldn't play them on the computer that I had. You, you had to have a faster computer. So I tried, but I, it, they, you were very, very slow and difficult to, to kind of use. And so I, I didn't get through a lot of those, but I, I did buy them with the hope that one day I would be able to play them. And so maybe eventually they'll remaster those. Cause at this point you need a, like an older machine to kind of really play those. The video game, video game industry is, is a little bit challenging in that, you know, things get outmoded so quickly that if you have something from the past, it's sometimes a little bit hard to utilize if you have a modern machine. Anyway, what I was thinking, what, what I had done when I was a kid doing the this click and play game is I wanted to do my own origin story. Because the way they did it with those early Tomb Raider games, the character is already established. You don't really know much about her, her past. She just is this adventurer, Tomb Raider. Um, you could call her an archaeologist, but she sort of just takes things. And uh, uh, for her own amusement, I think she says that she does it for sport in the first one. And no real explanation given. And so I wanted to create a backstory. And there wasn't really, there, there was one that was sort of given, uh, but it was not really fleshed out. It was just the thing that was in the manual. And I wanted to make one for my own. I had a, a, ideas for a second one after that using a more advanced game engine called the Games Factory, where you could actually kind of do a side-scrolling type of thing with a, instead of just a one level, uh, a one screen level type of design, you could have the, the screen scroll back and forth, up and down, left and right. I, I named it Tomb Raider Shadow of the Wolf. I don't at this point know where the wolf part comes in, but I, I still have the animations and I've showcased them before. I have the animations and they were, they've formed the basis for many, many other things that I've done since because I spent a long time in those animations getting the walking or the, it was like a running animation. There was a backflipping animation. There was a shooting animation. There was a lot of these things. There was a kicking animation. And I, although I never actually finished the game because I had trouble getting the controls actually to where I wanted them to be, the sprites were, I was always pretty proud of. And I was happy that I was able to progress as far as I was. So uh, in an earlier post years and years ago, I, I put them up there. So I figured, why not do something with those sprites? Just like I used the, the, the art from the Rocketeer game to make these, this, this card game. Why not finish the story that I had started with these sprites? and the bare bones that I do remember. So this is the story. And I thought it would be an interesting idea to make into an, an actual card game now to finish the story that way. So the story, as far as I can remember, involved the Japanese Imperial Regalia. And so I, I think I must've been learning about this in college. I remember taking a, a Japanese studies course and learning about the imperial regalia, which is these three like mythical and sacred objects. It's a sword, a mirror, and a jewel. And the idea is that this, these are these objects are the things that sort of give legitimacy to the emperor of Japan. And so they get passed down from one one sort of regime to the next. And they're protected. And, and, to, and I, still to this day, the location is a secret. I mean, no one really knows if they, well, I, I think people believe they exist. But I mean, the emperors, I think the only one that knows and then the, the people in the emperor's retinue. The, I, I think in like World War II, it was very important that they be, be, be 
safeguarded, and I think their location is kept a secret. I, I think the idea is that sort of these are the things that, because they give legitimacy to the emperor as, as sort of a direct descendant from the sun goddess, Amaratsu, if I'm recalling correctly, they're important, you know, for, as, a, as, as not only, you know, for the emperor, but also as a, as a symbol for the nation. So as I remember thinking like, well, what happens if they got captured? And I think, you know, people have written stories about this before, but I remember thinking like, as a, as a, when I was learning about this, like what happens if they got captured by someone who wants, wants these things to, to kind of show that, that they're the actual rightful emperor, not the one who is currently on. And so, uh, hence, there's already a bad guy. And I, whenever we're doing this, I wanted to make it something that uh, was involving that particular theme. You know, sometimes when they, when, when it's a bad guy involving like the Japanese, the automatic ones that are often thrown in there, the Yakuza, you know, the Japanese mafia, or if it's the Chinese, it's the Chinese triads and, or, you know, and the Italians, it's like, you know, they're, they're mafia. Uh, you know, it's, it seems so lazy, you know, to just use, use those, those guys because it's, it's like, they're kind of like, uh, it's like a it's like a convenient scapegoat, I guess you could say. But on the other hand, uh, I wanted something that that uh, it doesn't it wasn't just a gangster story. So I, I I thought like you know as an enemy in this story, like well, what happens if he had like a powerful descendant of say like I don't know like a samurai clan or something like that, you know, um, who's now uh, has power of a different means. And well, what happens if it's something that somebody who's like really influential, like, you know, someone who like owns a really large corporation, kind of like, you know, the people that are own like corporations like, you know, Amazon, you know, or Google or whatever, like they have a lot of power, you know, and they, they, you know, you think about like Amazon, they, you know, they, they, a lot of money flows through them and they go and they insert themselves in multiple parts of your life and you don't even realize it, you know. You know, what happens if there was somebody like that, sort of like a, uh, a narcissistic or, and or corrupt CEO of an organization like that, who has this lineage historically, and, and then already has a lot of power, but now wants more, now wants more like um, legitimate power, like, you know, I mean, as, as people in those positions want, you know, they, they want more and more and more and more. And if they don't have a sign of sort of uh, sort of quote unquote legitimacy, they're going to look for it. And so, what if someone like that managed to steal the the regalia, right? And so, the story was that uh, Lara, uh, in her either hunt for adventure or just getting involved somehow, I don't remember exactly how she got involved, has to go find the uh, the regalia, and she's helped by some uh, some friendly ninja. I remember drawing the pictures. You know, I had an art class. I took an art. I took one art class in college, and you had to, you had to, you had to, you had to draw daily, and you had to. I remember a, a sketchbook that I filled up, and I was drawing in there. I mean, we were supposed to like draw things in our day to day life, but I was like drawing like these cartoons and things like that, and it's the animations for this game. I, I drew like you know, uh, the intro cutscene. I could see like, and and I have some pictures of it, which I I still. I still think would make an interesting thing. And I guess I don't remember what exactly I was thinking. And I have pictures of like World War II era planes and the one being shot down. And then the, uh, the in this case, the, the sword of the, the regalia being lost or captured or something like that. So I don't exactly remember how that factors into the whole story. I just, but uh, I was clearly thinking about this at the time. 
but I, what I figured is that, uh, there would be a, uh, a, uh, a ninja clan, you know, that has survived through the centuries that, you know, is, 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 is going to help Lara get this regalia back. And so the background, the countryside, I had a couple levels planned, if I recall correctly. There was a city one. Uh, there was one inside a hotel, I think. There was one inside of a... Because the, the story, I think, was not told from Lara's perspective initially. It was told from a, like a reporter's perspective, if I recall correctly. And he was living in a hotel where Lara like rented a room or something like that. Anyway, but... Uh, but there, but I, what I what I was thinking for this particular card game to keep it relatively simple is that it already starts out with Lara's in the adventure, kind of like the way the Rocketeer is in in the card game is already in the adventure and he has to like in this case find PVs in a German chateau, right? In this case, the Rocketeer or the Lara is already in the uh, in the adventure um, and it's in the Japanese mountains in the the Iga mountains uh, Iga region of Japan. Um, which which happens to be one of the the birthplaces of ninjutsu supposedly. The the Iga and Koga regions supposedly were areas that uh, there are these mountainous areas of Japan where supposedly these ninja families uh, uh, lived and and operated from. So why not? Um, it, it's it's very pretty. It's it's mountainous. It's it's green. It's lush, dense forests and stuff like that. So great place to like you know have. Uh, have a uh, an adventure because what i was thinking and this is the thing that i think made the tomb raider games very special is that the sense of exploration uh i didn't when i was playing the games i um the especially the original ones there wasn't a lot of combat there was it, w- it would happen occasionally like you know maybe the you know something would attack you and you'd have to you know defend yourself but it wasn't like a huge mainstay there was a lot of exploration there were a bunch of puzzles and things like that that were often inserted into the uh into the um adventures kind of like uh these you have to disarm these traps and and do this to make a door open and whatever um i was never really a fan of those i i found the puzzles to be often kind of irritating or contrived especially if there were timed ones where you had to do it just right but i did like the jumping around and exploring part uh, I always thought that that was that part was cool, and I, that's the part I wanted to create for the card game in a more analog form. You have to use your imagination, and so what I was thinking is that as you're you're in this mountainous, forested region, you could have cards that basically tell you where you're going. You wouldn't actually be able to see kind of where you're going because again, the forest is very dense. If you're climbing, you can't necessarily see what's over the over the crest. You can just sort of see the next handhold. I was thinking that you could kind of do the same, the same thing with cards. You know, you have, uh, like I did it with the Rocketeer game, you have platforms that you can either climb or fly over. And I was thinking you could kind of do the same thing where you, you're told you can go up uh, or forward or you can go down into like a grotto or something like that. And I was thinking you could lay them out, you know, you, it, when the card says go forward. Okay, you move, the, you put a card down, it's forward, and you put Lara's card on top of it. And then you, you draw the next card and it says, go up. Okay, you go up and then you sort of literally mapping out a little trail for yourself as you're going along. And uh, then if you hit a dead end, then you can actually backtrack and go back to a different place. So I was thinking that um, that allows you to create a, uh, a little path for yourself. And uh, 
what, what I was thinking is that you would also encounter a number of power-ups and things like that that would allow your character to basically get stronger. So if you, a lot of video games have a system where you start off with very little and then you gain things. And so like, for example, in the game Doom, uh, you start off with, I think, your, your fists and maybe like a, a pistol and that's it. And I, if I recall right, I think maybe the maybe the pistol says unlimited ammunition or it's not the most powerful thing. And so you, you get more powerful weapons and, and things like that. So I figured you could do the same thing here. And in the, in the Tomb Raider games, it's very, it's a similar kind of thing. She, Lara has twin, twin pistols that she has. They have unlimited ammunition. Uh, she will encounter other things that, that where the ammunition is finite. You have to manage your inventory a little bit to figure out which one works best on which things and how to go about finding the ammunition and all that kind of stuff like that. She also has health to manage. And then obviously that's a finite capacity. So I was thinking that you could have those kind of things like that, you know, health. Um, I think having ammunition for this sort of thing as being finite is always a good thing. Uh, but I wanted to also give her like an unarmed attack. In the original games, she did not have any unarmed attacks. Uh, she couldn't defend herself if she ran, if she lost her weapons. And in almost every game, um, there would be scenes where she was disarmed and then has to find something. And so I figured, well, why, why do that? I mean, she's a pretty badass kind of character. Why, why not give her the ability to do something like punch or kick or throw or whatever, you know? I, I, when I was making the, the game for the way back when, I, I, I programmed in a, a kicking animation in there. And I figured, why not want to do that? And I, and I, I programmed apparently in, right, I made the uh, a, a jumping kicking animation, like a flying sidekick. And so I figured like, well, what happens if you started off with something basic, like the, the basic kick? And then if you got, you could, you could improve it by and add the jump to it and therefore make it more powerful. And so be more appropriate for certain things, like if you wanted to kick down a door or something like that. And the same with the, uh, you could do the same thing with the, with the weapons. I animated this as well. So there's like an automatic pistol, which I modeled on the, uh, the Robocop Auto 9 <laughs> machine pistol. And then the, uh, then I'm like a submachine gun. And I think that's as far as I went with that. But yeah, why not? Why not try something like that where she, uh, she can level up her, her, um, armament so that there's a, there's a progression of things that you can, you can use just like in Tomb Raider itself. In the in the original game, she could carry a whole bunch of stuff and just switch kind of seamlessly from one to the next in a totally unrealistic way. Because she had this tiny little backpack. In, at the time, like in the in the mid nineties, these tiny little backpacks were popular among girls. I don't know why. They were they they were they were like a quarter of the size of a regular school backpack. But anyway, so she had this tiny little backpack and could which could fit like an unlimited amount of stuff in there. I was thinking that you could have something like that. You could also do the same with your uh, agility type of uh, type of skills. So in the game, she could do all manner of flips and, and she would have this really handy roll where she could roll forward, but then do like basically a half twist and then end up in the other direction. So that it was a very easy way to change directions. It's kind of actually hard to recreate in actual life because she would just sort of drop right into it and come up in the opposite direction. Whereas if you do a front roll, you end up in the same direction that you started off in, but she would end up in an opposite direction. And I was, I was, I would 
figured like, well, okay, if she could do that as a basic thing, then then you could level up by having her jump. And basically she would do like basically a front flip with a half twist, which is actually a fairly difficult thing to do, but it would be a useful thing for her to do. Like for example, in combat or to get to another platform or something like that, that requires that particular movement. So I figured you could do the exact same thing in terms of leveling things up if you had somebody help you. And so I was thinking like probably the easiest way to do that would be to have all your ninja, every now and then you might draw a card for a, a, a ninja friend and they would train you. And then you could basically, based on that, you could level up one of your abilities. Uh, in the later Tomb Raider games that came out in 2013 after, it was, it was kind of like a reboot in some way. Lara Croft did not have the twin gun type of armament that she had in the earlier things. She often used a, a bow. And I think that that worked actually really well at the time, bows and arrows were again sort of in vogue because I probably because like the Hunger Games or something like that. Uh, but the bow in Tomb Raider 2013 and the game, the, the those trilogy, those work really well. Um, it's just a very intuitive, well programmed uh, mechanic that they made. And so I thought, why not have give her that ability as well? But then she's in a forest. And so she's going to be finding things that could be potentially used for arrows or to repair them or whatever. And so the ability to make arrows and so forth and uh, uh, maybe repair them or something like that, um, I think is, uh, is kind of a neat one. Plus, I mean, I don't know if this would be important. Um, a bow is relatively silent, not necessarily, but it's, it's a lot less silent than a gun certainly is. And so that might be an interesting thing to include in that is when you do an attack like that, perhaps it alerts somebody else that's in the environment, you know, and it makes it more likely to for them to find you or some some kind of mechanic like that where uh, it would be you would be rewarded for doing a silent attack, like, for example, an unarmed one or a bow attack or something like that. So that's kind of what I was thinking, like you could have. Uh, a series of cards that are really directional cards, kind of like what, I, what I've what i done here with the Rocketeer. And then I have a series of cards that are basically power-up type abilities um, and then mix them all up together. And then the other ones would, of course, be enemies. And so I figured, like, for enemies, you could have um, probably a couple that you face. And then I, I, I think the I liked what I did with combat for the Rocketeer uh, card game, where it, was, it injected a little bit of Dungeons & Dragons type of uh, randomness in there. And uh, I, so I think I, that ended up working out pretty well. And I might recreate the exact same thing. One of the things that I think is interesting when it comes to gameplay and what makes some things fun is the ability to replay things and have it always be different. It's not necessarily going to be the same every time. And so I think having cards where you can shuffle them up and you don't know what you're going to get adds a level of unpredictability and replay value that uh, is is pretty cool. The other thing I thought is that with the Rocketeer game, I, I had just one deck. I wanted to, it to be something that was 52 cards, and that's it. Very simple. But maybe, maybe, uh, you why are you lim necessarily limited to one deck? You don't have to. You could have one sort of as a starter deck, and then you could have multiple other de or at least one other deck that's expansion. It's it's fascinating to go and look like um, we have a, 
uh, a Barnes and Nobles that's maybe about an hour from us. It's, it's quite large and it's, it has a huge games section and it's kind of really interesting to go and look at all the different games that are out there. And some are, are very self-contained. They're card games where it's kind of just like this. They, they, I, I, I'm tempted to buy some of them just to kind of see how they do their thing. It, there's really a ton out there. And one thing that I see that some of them do is that they'll have the base set that you can get. And then they have a card game, or card expansion packs that you can use to obviously get more cards and, and, and have more variety in the game. So interestingly enough, there was actually a Tomb Raider card game that was actually made and I bought it at the time, intending that maybe I'll just try to play it with my brother. It has a tiny little Lara Croft figurine, which I thought was really neat. Remember reading the instructions, having no clue uh, how to play it. Uh, I think you need more than one player. You need like, I think two, I think. Um, and that was always the barrier, I think, to uh, with a lot of these games. You, you needed needed multiple players. And so... Um, I, I'm tempted to go back and, and try it again and see if I can understand it this time. But I, I, I think like for this one I'm talking about, just like the, the Rocketeer game, I think I want to make it one player, uh, capable of being played by one player. In the show notes, I'm gonna, I'll include a few of the animations or at least a, a link to, uh, to, to when I uh, talked about them before. If I can uh, put some of them in there, I will. And... Uh, so this is kind of more of a, a note to myself because it's it's uh it's my my thoughts on 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 how to make this and uh it's something I'll probably do over the next couple of months as it gets more fleshed out, you know, a little bit here and there. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, you know, drop them in in the comments, uh send me an email. I'd love to know. So thanks as always for listening. Uh stay tuned for this and more things like it. Uh, in the future and look back in the past for uh, other thoughts on things of this nature. So I will talk to you guys in the future. Hey, a couple last minute things before you go. Thanks for listening to this show. If you liked it, you can find many more on the website 13thhr.wordpress.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. You can often find behind the scenes information about this show and other things that I do on social media, such as Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You'll see links to those in the show notes. Sometimes people will ask me, how can I help contribute to the show or other things that, that I do? And probably one of the easiest ways is by going over to Facebook and looking up the Facebook group called 13th Hour Arts. And it's a place for not only to discuss these kinds of things, but also for you to share your own creative process and the things that you're doing that bring meaning to your life. You can also do things that are entirely free, such as leaving a review for a book, music, this particular podcast, share it with friends, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, email me, W-R-I-T-E-J-O-S-H-U-A-B-L-U-M at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your suggestions and comments. You can also leave a one-time donation over at Coffee, and that's K-O-F-I slash 13THHR. It's basically like a virtual tip jar, kind of like the sort of thing like a piano player might have at a bar or something like that. For a small amount, you can also leave a donation on a monthly basis at Patreon, and that helps bring new things to this particular show and to support future projects. And that's at 13th Hour Arts. It's also a place for patrons to 
share their own creative process and the things that bring inspiration and meaning to them. I hope by sharing a little bit of the creative process in this particular show, it gets people to cultivate that aspect of their own life and to remember that those things are important even if you are an adult and you may not have time for it. Hopefully by paying attention to those aspects of your own life, you can remember your own dreams and aspirations and help create a world and make a world that you want to be in. And at the end of the day, that's sort of what the 13th hour is about. So thanks as always for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week.